In your Bibles to Romans chapter 9, we're going to be um, continuing our study of this amazing uh, book of the Bible, Paul's letter to the church in Rome, and today we're looking at uh, chapter 9, verse 30, through chapter 10, verse 13, that's page 946 in the Pew Bibles, if you want to follow along. Over the past couple of decades, there's been a a sharp decline in the number of Americans who um, claim any sort of religious affiliation. And uh, this growing group of Americans has been called the nuns, not um, N-U-N, but N-O-N-E, because they're they're non-religious. They they don't have any kind of connection to um, organized religion. Now, Some of them maybe grew up in organized religion and have since abandoned it. Many of them never had any connection at all with a a religious group. And and this phenomena that's that's been going on for a while, it's caused alarm in the Christian community. Rightfully so. Um, Christians wonder, what does this mean for the cause of the gospel in the United States? Is it going to be, are are people going to be less open to the gospel? What will it mean for evangelism? And, um, you know, there's a lot that could be said about this this dynamic that we're witnessing, um, but but my take is um, it's not all bad. It's not all bad, and and here's why I say that. Um, if you're familiar with the New Testament, you know this. If you're not that familiar with the New Testament, it might surprise you to learn that Jesus' fiercest critics were religious people. I mean, the, the people that orchestrated his execution were highly religious people. In the early years of the Christian church, the, the, the worst opposition that the, that the Christian church experienced in the early years came from religious groups. For the most part, religious people are not that warm to the gospel. In some ways, it's surprising. Other ways, it's it's not surprising. You know, I mean, why would why would religious people be? I mean, isn't Jesus about religion? Isn't the gospel about religion? Isn't the Christian faith about religion? Why would religious people not be warm to that? Well, well, Paul here in in Romans, especially Romans chapters nine through eleven, he's wrestling with these kinds of questions as he thinks about. His own people, Israel, the most religious people of the day, the people, God's chosen people, the ones to whom God gave His promises. And for the most part, they've rejected the gospel. These these religious men and women, few of them are embracing Jesus as the Messiah. And so as Paul wrestles with these questions, which we've been looking at for a a few weeks now, why, why has Israel rejected the gospel as we, as we look at what Paul has to say here this morning, we're going to see some reasons why religious people reject the gospel. Why it's not just the irreligious who have a, a hard time embracing Jesus as Lord and Savior. It's not just them. Religious people, too, have a hard time embracing uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to read our passage for us. Romans chapter 9, beginning in verse 30. I'll read all the way through chapter 10, verse 13. Paul says, What shall we say then, that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it? That is, a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? 
because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let's pray together. Our God and Father, we come before your word expectantly this morning, eager to um, hear what you have for us, we pray that you would make the distinction between uh, a gospel of grace and a gospel of works, that you would make that distinction so clear to us, that you would help us, Lord, to rejoice in our Lord and Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, this morning, as we, as we look at this passage and we're wondering, we're asking, why do religious people reject the gospel? There's three reasons Paul shows us here in this passage. Um, number one, because the gospel is counterintuitive. The gospel is counterintuitive. Number two, because the gospel is simple. Um, not, not simplistic, but the gospel is simple. And then number three, because the gospel is indiscriminate. It's indiscriminate. So first, why do religious people reject the gospel? Number one, because the gospel is counterintuitive. It's, it, it's surprising. And, and Paul draws this out, especially in uh, verses 30 on through verse 4 of chapter 10. The, the gospel is surprising to us in many ways. Now, some of us have known the gospel for a long time, and maybe we've lost some of that surprise, but, but it challenges our assumptions about God. The gospel challenges our assumptions about how to be right with God. The gospel says gaining God's acceptance and approval doesn't necessarily work the way we might think. It it kind of turns things on their head. I mean, look at what Paul says here in verses 30 and 31 as he brings out, draws out this surprise. He talks about Two groups of people there in verses 30 and 31. On the one hand, you have Gentiles. On the other hand, Israel. Gentiles, you know, think what Paul is communicating there is these are the pagans. These are the sinners. These are the people he described in chapter 1 engaged in all kinds of licentious living. These are the people who are not interested in the true God. Not interested, not looking for a way to be right with the true God. That, that's one group. On the other hand, he talks about Israel. These are God's chosen people. 
These are the, the worshipers of the one true God. Um, people who he'll talk about later are, are zealous for God's law, trying to keep God's law. And, and Paul says something really surprising here. He says, one group attained righteousness, the other group did not. And, and when he says righteousness here, he doesn't mean morality. He doesn't say one group was more holy than the other. He means being made right with God. One group gained God's acceptance and approval, and one group did not. Now, if you didn't know what Paul's getting at here in Romans, you'd expect him to say, well, of course it was Israel that attained righteousness. I mean, they're the zealous law keepers. Um, They're the religious people. But instead, Paul says, the Gentiles. Gentiles, not all Gentiles, but those who have come to faith in Jesus Christ, have been made right with God. They've attained righteousness. And He's using racing imagery here, this language of pursuing righteousness, attaining righteousness. You know, imagine a foot race, and there's a a finish line and a prize at the end. And and Paul's saying the Gentiles weren't even in the race. They're not even in this this, um, race trying to reach the finish line. They weren't trying to attain righteousness. Um, Israel, on the other hand, I mean, they're sweating it out. They've trained for this. They're, they're in it to win it. They're serious about it. And, and then Paul tells us, but the outcome is just so counterintuitive. It, it's topsy-turvy. Um, those who did not run the race won. They attained righteousness, Paul says, but those who ran, those who pursued it, Paul says, they lost. I mean, it just the immoral pagans were accepted by God, but religious Israel wasn't. Do you see how counterintuitive the gospel is that Paul's proclaiming? That the most religious people in the world somehow did not acquire righteousness, were not made right with God, and yet these, these pagans out there did. What's going on here? Well, Paul shows us that, that Israel fell into the religion trap. The, the religion trap. Um, verse 32, he says, why? How, why did this happen? He says, they didn't pursue acceptance with God by faith, but as if it were based on works. The, the religion trap. You see, religion says, I keep the rules, therefore God accepts me. You know, I, I live up to the standards, therefore God approves of me. It's, it's righteousness by works. Righteousness by what I do. A, a performance-based righteousness. And you know how this goes. I believe the right things. I try to obey God's commands. I I go to church. I avoid sinful people. I avoid sinful places. I try to be kind to other people. And so so God kind of owes me. He accepts me because of how I've performed. And this is Israel's mindset. They thought they could be accepted by God based on their performance. And he describes in chapter 10, the, the opening verses there, two and three, Israel's zealous. Now, Paul doesn't call into question their zeal. They have a genuine zeal for Torah, for for God's law. Again, they were in the race. But Paul says there in the the beginning of chapter 10, their zeal was misguided. They, They had zeal that wasn't according to knowledge. You see, they thought their law keeping could make them right with God. And Paul says they tried to establish their own righteousness. They didn't submit to God's saving righteousness. 
They tried to earn acceptance with God by their performance. Again, the the religion trap. This idea that God loves me because I keep the rules. God accepts me because I'm a decent person. God um, approves of me because I've outperformed all the losers out there. That's the the religious mindset. And and Israel misunderstood the purpose of the law. Paul Paul draws this out, verse 4. Chapter 10, verse 4. He said, Israel misunderstood this, this law that they delighted in, that God had given them. They, they misunderstood what it was for. Paul, Paul says God gave the law to drive us to Jesus. He says there in verse 4, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And that word end, it's the Greek word telos. And it, it can mean the, the termination or it can mean the goal or purpose, just like the English word end. Termination or goal. And, and I think I'm going to try to have my cake and you know, eat it too. I, I think Paul has both senses here in mind. Um, you, know, you think of a race. He's been using that imagery. The finish line is, is both the end or the termination of the race, but it's also the goal, right? It's the, it's the goal toward which the runners have been moving. And, and Paul is saying here, look, the, the law that God gave to Israel that they were so zealous for, Jesus is the goal of that law. He's what the law pointed to. The law, as we've seen in Romans, it, it shows us our sin. The law shows us our need for a Savior. It, it points us to Christ as the solution for the problem of sin. The, he perfectly fulfilled the law's demands. He bore the the curse of the law against our sin. He's the goal. He's what this law was pointing to. And, but he's also the end of the law, the, or I think we could say the culmination of the law. And that doesn't mean that you know under the old covenant, salvation was by works, but now in the new covenant, salvation is by faith. Nor does it mean that um, God's not uh, doesn't care whether his people obey him or not. Um, what Paul is saying is that that system, that mosaic system, the law and the priesthood and the sacrifices and all that, it served its purpose. It was pointing to Christ. It was temporary. And now that Christ has come, the, the true priest, the true sacrifice, the true righteous person, now that He's come, that old system, that old covenant system has been set aside. He fulfilled it. It's redundant. So Paul says Israel... Um, misunderstood. Righteousness is found in Christ, not the law. And so Paul explains, um, backing up again to chapter 9, verses 32 and 33, he explains that when Christ came as the fulfillment of Israel's law, Israel stumbled over him. Israel stumbled over him. And he quotes um, Isaiah 28:16. there. He says that... Um, They've stumbled over the stumbling stone as it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So rather than looking to Christ as the rock of salvation, they they tripped over him. They, They stumbled over him, which is another way of saying they rejected the gospel. These These religious men and women who had all of God's word, God's law, God's promises... When, when all that that was pointing to came, Jesus Christ, they rejected Him. Now, 
that wasn't just a problem for ancient Israel. I mean, Paul's drawing out Israel's plight here, but, but the gospel of Jesus Christ is still a stumbling stone for, for moral people today, religious people today. Um, there are two ways to be lost, and, and Tim Keller used to talk about this. There's, there's two ways to be lost. There's the irreligious way to be lost. That's, that's what we normally think of, you know, the, the idea, I'm my own Savior and Lord. Um, no one's going to tell me what to believe or how to live. I, I decide for myself what is right and what's wrong. I'm, you know, this is the, the younger son in the parable of the prodigal son. You remember that parable Jesus told in Luke 15, two sons? This is the younger son who just lives a, a wild life, rebels against the father. That's one way to be lost, but there's also a religious way to be lost. You know, the, the older brother in Jesus' parable. It's the idea that, well, I'm better than other people. I'm superior to other people. I, I keep the rules. I work hard and therefore God owes me. I mean, He owes me blessing. He owes me answers to prayers. He owes me acceptance. Um, two ways to be lost. And, and I was listening to Keller recently and he said, the problem is the irreligious people know they're lost and they don't care. The religious people don't know they're lost. They're, they're blinded to their lostness. You see, Morality and religion very often are just another way to avoid Jesus as Savior and Lord. Um, we, we might think the, the pagans, you know, the Gentiles, they're the ones avoiding Christ, but morality and religion can just be another way to, to keep Jesus at arm's length. Um, Flannery O'Connor was a, a novelist, and her first novel is called Wise Blood. And um, there's a, the main character in this novel is a guy named Hazel Motes, and he's a really despicable character, um, I, I read this novel and I'm just like, I, I do not like this guy at all. Um, he's cynical, he's, he's deceptive, he's, he's a nihilist, he's just, um, he's a really bad guy. But um, the narrator of the story describes that uh, Hazel had a grandfather who was an old fiery preacher and as a teenager Hazel had to sit in his grandfather's church and listen to his grandfather preach. And his grandfather would point at him and say, Jesus died for your sins. And, and Hazel concluded, you know what? The way to avoid Jesus is to avoid sin. I'll just, I'll just keep my distance from sin and then I won't need anything. I won't need that Jesus character. I won't, he won't be, have any claim over me if I stay away from sin. Um, and that, that's the, that's the morality way of being lost, the religious way of being lost. You can just keep being the master of your own life if you don't need this Jesus guy for anything. And that's why the gospel is so counterintuitive. I mean, as Paul explains this, what looks like a reversal with the Gentiles being accepted by God, the Israel not, um, the gospel says to be righteous, you first have to admit that you're not righteous. Um, to be acceptable to God, you first have to admit that you, you, there's nothing about you that's acceptable. To, to get God's approval, you first have to admit that you deserve his disapproval. Um, the, the gospel says, look away from yourself. Look away from yourself. Don't rely on your performance. Rely on Jesus Christ. It's counterintuitive. If you, if you want God's acceptance, it's not about how well you, you ran the race. It's not about how, how much you or how well you outperform others. 
It's about trusting in Jesus Christ. He's the righteous one. Depend on his works, not your own. I mean, the gospel says that at the cross, Jesus took your sin and shame. He took your your disapproval and your rejection upon himself. He became the rejected one so that you could be accepted through faith in him, so that you might be approved, so that you might be made right with God. That's the counterintuitive nature of the gospel. Those who don't run the race win it. Um, a righteous standing with God isn't something we achieve by our works. It's something we receive by faith. And Paul has just been pounding this message throughout Romans, but even here, chapters 9 and 10, he's still sounding um, the, the alarm here about the gospel of grace. Righteousness with God, right, a righteous standing with God is just pure grace, pure gift. And so why do religious people reject the gospel? The first reason is because the gospel is counterintuitive. But there's a second reason. Um, Not only is the gospel counterintuitive, the gospel is simple. The gospel is simple. Um, Paul brings this out in in chapter 10, verses 5 to 10. And and the irony of, of this point, that the gospel is simple, is that Paul makes this point in a way that's not simple. He, he makes this point in a way that is not straightforward at all, at least not for us. I, I think for him, it was very straightforward, maybe for his original readers, very straightforward. But, but Paul, who, who knew his Old Testament so well, um, he, he juxtaposes two Old Testament passages here, and um, he holds them up to underscore the difference between the righteousness that is based on works, the, the law, and the righteousness that is based on faith, the gospel. And he says, listen, you gotta, you got to hear what the law says, and you got to hear what the gospel says. And so in verse 5, he says, for Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law. And then he, he quotes Leviticus 18.5. Here's what the law says. The person who does the commandments shall live by them. The person who does the commandments shall live by them. Now, Paul's not arguing with that. He's saying this is true. This is the basic principle of law. The law says do. And the law says if you do, if you do the law perfectly, you'll live. You'll gain eternal life. The problem is, as Paul has made clear throughout Romans, none of us do the law perfectly, right? I mean, that that was Paul's indictment of humanity that we have all fallen short of God's standard. Um, the law's promise, um, it's just a promise to us. It doesn't give us any power to do what it says. It, the law can say do, 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 but it never enables us to do it. And so if you try to be justified by your works, you will fail. And so Paul holds up the law, righteousness based on works, and he says, hear what it says. Perfect obedience. That, that's how you gain eternal life. But verses 6 to 8, hear what the gospel says. Hear what the gospel says. And he quotes Deuteronomy 30. Really interesting here. Paul wants us to hear what the gospel says. And he goes back and quotes another passage from Moses. Deuteronomy 30, uh, 12 to 14. Um, he says, but the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, 
Or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead? But what does it say? The, Lord, the word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Crystal clear, right? Now you see the difference between righteousness based on works and righteousness based on faith. Um, not clear. Not clear to me. I'm sure it's not all that clear to you. I had to spend some time on this. Let me, let me just give you Paul's point here. This is the gist of what Paul's saying. The law says do. The gospel doesn't say do. The gospel says done. The, the gospel doesn't say rely on what you do for God, climbing up into heaven, going down to the abyss. Don't rely on what you do for God. Rely on what God has done already in Christ. See, Paul's saying this language of who will ascend into heaven, who will go down to the abyss. He's saying there's no need to climb a ladder of, of good deeds up into heaven and somehow bring Messiah down to earth. God's already done it. God took the initiative. God sent His Son into the world to live and die and rise for sinners. No need to go on this dangerous journey down into the abyss to try to bring Christ back up from the dead. God raised Jesus from the dead. Do you see what Paul's saying? The law says do. The law focuses on our performance. The Gospel says look away from yourself to what God has done in Christ. God has done everything necessary to make you right with Him. And Paul, as he continues to quote Deuteronomy, he says, the Word is near you, in your mouth, in your heart. In other words, God has done everything. He's brought this good news to you. And the response the Gospel calls for, it's very simple. Believe. Trust. Receive this good news. And and Paul draws that out. Verses 9 and 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. This is the simplicity of the Gospel. The Gospel doesn't say, you know, let me give you a list of of 10,000 commands that you need to work on for the rest of your life. The Gospel doesn't say, you know, go live in the desert for, for three decades, renounce all worldly possessions, prove to God that you're serious. The Gospel doesn't say, do, 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 do. The Gospel says, believe, receive. God says, trust in My Son. Trust in what I have done for you through Him. That's it. That's it. Not, not do, believe. And, and maybe you're sitting there hearing that and thinking, well, well, that's just too easy. I mean, that just, that's just too simple. Just trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you will be saved. I mean, it's it just too easy. Well, well, I'd say it's simple, but it's not necessarily easy. Um, you know, it's simple. A child can understand this. A child can do this. And, but it's not easy. In fact, um, it might actually be easier for kids to understand the simplicity of the gospel than it is for us adults. I mean, kids know that they're needy. Kids know that they depend on their parents. They depend on their parents to do lots of things for them. And, and they trust that their parents will do things for them. I mean, um, if you've parented young children, you know Five minutes after you get them down for bed at night, 
you hear them calling from the bedroom. You know, you've just spent however long, half hour, hour, getting them ready for bed, doing, you know, going through that whole routine. You finally get them tucked in, the lights are off, you step out of the room, you think, finally, I get to relax, and all of a sudden you hear from the bedroom, Mom, I'm thirsty. And you're thinking to yourself, they've been drinking water all day. I, I'm a good parent. I make sure my kids are well hydrated. And yet your, your son or daughter is in the room, and they're about on the brink of dying of thirst. Mom, I'm thirsty. And, um, but here's the thing. Your kids, they, they're confident you're going to meet their needs. I mean, there's no question in their minds that you are going to meet their needs. They trust you. They, they know um, they need you. And, and that kind of childlike faith, that, that simple gospel faith, is often difficult for us as adults. I mean, we're more self-sufficient than a child, hopefully. You know, most of us can get ourselves a, dr- a glass of water at night before bed, um, hopefully. Um, we don't have to depend on someone else to do everything for us. But, but that self-sufficiency it begins to creep into our faith, doesn't it? I mean, um, we begin to think, you know, I've, I've got this. Um, you know, how do I know that God accepts me? Well, well, of course, there's Jesus. I mean, I'm a Christian after all. I mean, yeah, Jesus, but, but there's Jesus plus, you know, something. Um, Jesus plus I've been baptized, or Jesus plus I tithe faithfully. Jesus plus... I, I am really involved in the life of my church. I'm committed. I'm serious. I'm always there. Um, Jesus plus I've got the right politics. Or Jesus plus um, I, I don't watch rated R movies or, or whatever it is. Um, you know, it's Jesus plus something. I know that God accepts me because of Him, but also because of this. Um, what is your plus something? You know, what what is it? What is that thing that you trust in, not, not despite Jesus, not instead of Jesus, but, but alongside of Jesus? That, that thing that gives you confidence that God accepts you. Um, uh, another way to ask it, and maybe this will help you um, discern what your plus something might be, is um, how would you finish this sentence? God is happy with me because I... How would you fill in that blank. That, that might be your plus something. You know, the, the simple faith the gospel calls for, it, it, it calls us to, to give up every attempt to justify ourselves. It, it calls us to, to abandon um, every shred of trust in anything besides Jesus Christ crucified and risen from the dead. I mean, we, we sang about this a few moments ago in that, that hymn, Rock of Ages. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. That, that's faith, those empty hands receiving God's grace in Jesus Christ. Now, it can be kind of scary to give up self-sufficiency, right? It, it feels like loss of control. I, I, I don't like that feeling, but, but it's also freeing. I mean, if your confidence before God is rooted in Jesus Christ, that means no more performance checklists. <laughs> no more, you know, waking up every morning, am I going to be able to do enough today to make God like me and approve of me? No more um, walking on eggshells thinking at any moment now I'm going to do something that's going to cause God to just 
renounce me and reject me and, and cast me aside. You see, the Gospel assures me that I'm always and only accepted by God because of Jesus Christ. Never anything else. Nothing that I do, nothing that I am. It's, it's His works, not yours. It's what God has done through Christ, not what you do for God that makes you acceptable to God. It's, it's only Christ. It's always Christ. And so the, the Gospel, this simple Gospel, invites us into a, a faith that rests in Christ. A faith that rests in His finished work. And, and yes, out of that resting faith, that faith that, that is grounded in Christ and rests in Him, out of that faith come all kinds of um, good works for God, doing things for God. I, I love and serve God. I, I want to please Him. But it's because He first loved me. That, that order is so important. Um, it's because of what He did for me in Christ, um, not what I do for Him. That's the simplicity of the Gospel. So why do religious people reject the Gospel? Sometimes because the Gospel is counterintuitive. Um, sometimes because the Gospel just seems too simple. There's a, a third reason because the Gospel is indiscriminate. It's indiscriminate. Um, chapter 10, verses 11 to 13. The, the religious mindset, the, the works mindset, goes like this. God accepts me because I'm special. You know, I, I'm special. I, I, I come from the right family. Um, I, I'm a hard worker. I'm a, I'm a devoted church member. Um, I've kept myself clean. I haven't lived like those, those dirty people out there. Um, there's something about me. That, that's why God accepts me. The, the religious mindset is very self-absorbed, self-centered. Um, it, it, it's built on a sense of superiority. But Paul says this good news that he's been proclaiming, this good news of righteousness through faith in Christ, is for everyone. It's for everyone. I mean, notice verse 10. Everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. Verse 13. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Verse 12. There is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The, the blessings of the Gospel, acceptance with God through faith in Christ, it's, it's not limited to one particular class of people or, or one race or one gender or one anything. It's no one has a leg up on others. God offers this righteous standing with Him to anyone and everyone who will believe. And, and notice Paul draws out that it's, it's not only available to everyone, it, it's the same basis for everyone, this righteousness. Faith in Jesus Christ. He says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter um, what you have done or not done, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And, and, and you know, someone might say to themselves, well, I've done really terrible things. And Paul says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But, but I've messed up my life big time. And Paul says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I've hurt other people. I've done you know, terrible things to them. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Um, I, Paul, I, I feel so dirty. 
I'm so sinful, I'm unworthy, I, I feel so ashamed. And Paul says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. I mean, Paul is just saying, look, this righteousness is for everyone and it's on the same basis for everyone. Call on the name of the Lord. You know, it, righteousness, a righteous standing with God, it's the same, you know, maybe some of you had a, a grandmother who was just this sweet lady, you know, so kind, never said a mean word about anybody in her entire life. Um, a righteous standing with God is the same for her as it is for the most rotten, despicable person you can think of. Faith in Jesus Christ. It's, it's indiscriminate grace. And, and not only that, um, Paul says that the gospel gives everyone who believes the, the same standing. It's the same blessings, the same riches of grace. Verse 12, he says, The same Lord is Lord of all bestowing his riches on all who call on him. That, that emphasis there on all. It's same generous Lord, same generous gift to all. What does Christ the Lord give to all of his people? Paul says riches. He, he gives his riches to all who call on the name of the Lord. You, you think of John 1. It's grace upon grace upon grace. I mean, Christ the Lord is this generous giver of, of grace to everyone who calls on Him. I mean, that's the, the kind of Savior He is to all. Everyone. Not, not some. All. And this, this message of the Gospel that, that Paul proclaims to us, um, you know, it's, at the same time, it's both confidence-destroying and confidence-building. You know, on the one hand, it destroys self-confidence and pride. I mean, what Paul's been saying here, the Gospel says, I'm no better than anyone else. No better than anyone else. I mean, God didn't save me because I've got my act together and other people don't. Um, the Gospel has this leveling effect. It says we're all in the same boat. And that boat is sinking because of our sin. And we're all in that boat. And outwardly, our lives might look different. You know, you as a, a church person, your, your outward life might look different than some um, irreligious person. But, but whatever the sin is, and however our lives look on the outside, we, we, we're both sinners, we both need a Savior, and we're no better than others. It has this leveling effect. There's no room for pride. There, there's no space for some kind of holier-than-thou attitude. If I'm saved, if, if you're saved, it's not because we're better, it's not because we're special, it's because God is so gracious. That's what Paul's saying here. And So on the one hand, the, this gospel message of just indiscriminate grace, free grace, it's, it, it destroys self-confidence, but on the other hand, it builds a new kind of confidence, a new kind of confidence. You see, the gospel not only says I'm, um, I'm no better than anyone else, the gospel says um, my sin, no matter how bad it is, doesn't exclude me from God's promise. My sin, no matter how awful, can't keep me from God's love in Jesus Christ. Same promise to all who believe. If, and, you know, if, if God loved me and saved me when, when I was like that, 
And he knew all about me, knew all about my sin. I mean, nothing is going to change his love and acceptance of me now in Christ. I mean, nothing at all is going, going to change that. If The gospel gives you this confidence that, that doesn't depend on your performance. It doesn't depend on how successful you are. It doesn't depend on how um, spiritual you are, how moral you are. You know, you, you've got this whole... Christian thing down and you're a devoted Bible reader and your prayer life is amazing and you give generously to the church and and you're always rejoicing in the Lord. No, it's not that kind of confidence. The gospel gives you a confidence that depends on the flawless righteousness of Jesus Christ. This this unchanging righteousness. And, And every night, I mean, just think about this kind of confidence you can have in Christ. Every evening, every night, you can rest your head on the pillow trusting that God accepts you in Christ. No matter what that day has been like. Um, whether you you know knocked it out of the park that day and you were a stellar example of Christian character or you just totally fell on your face and you can rest your head on the pillow knowing that in Christ and through faith in Christ, God loves you, accepts you, and approves you. See, religion can't give you that kind of confidence. A a righteousness based on works can't give you that kind of security. I mean, religion can only say, do. Try harder. Do better. Um, Are you really sure you measure up? I'm not so sure you do. It breeds insecurity and, and fear. This just paralyzing internal sense that I, there's, I can't, I can't, I can't live up to the standard, which is true, but it can't do anything about it for you. It just, it breeds this insecurity and fear, but the gospel says done. The gospel says Jesus paid it all. The gospel says that his righteousness is what counts, not your day-to-day obedience. Um, your works can't get you in, but neither can your sins keep you out. Um, his grace is greater than your sin. His grace is greater than your sin. This is the the good news that Paul proclaims here in the book of Romans, that the the gospel and religion, they're two different things. Religion says do, and you will be accepted. The gospel says God has done everything necessary for you in Christ. Trust in Him. That is how to be made right with God. Let me pray for us. Our Father in heaven, sometimes we we lose sight of the simplicity of the gospel that through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, you accept us, you approve of us. We pray that you would help us to live in this reality, that you would help us to live in this, this good news, that it would be the story of our life, that it would be the way we think about ourselves in this world, that your grace is overflowing to us in Jesus Christ and that we would live confidently in in your love and grace and mercy that have come to us in him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.